Welcome to News of the World, your fine program, the podcast on the internet that is dealing with the news, which is everything that might matter to you or not. We don't know. We're just, you know, we're just uh, getting it out of the bins and holes it is in and bring it out into the light. And we, this is Tim and Mark on the other side of this tiny, tiny European planet. Yes, hello from this this corner. Oh, I messed up. I was going to say something great, but now I'll just say hello. <laughs> yes, we are actively uh, pursuing global warming. I'm warming my coffee or warming your tea. We did. We had a showdown today. Yes. We're having a showdown. Tea versus coffee. Yes. A classic. A classic. A classic. Yes. It's a classic. So, yeah. and, you know, let's start with the program. And we are starting with a classic too, I'd say. It is, as the internet has told you a thousand times, dear listener, Nelson Mandela has died. Uh, this is one of those deaths that, of course, uh, all over the world, headlines. I've kind of been glancing at different newspapers, front pages, just to see how many different photos of Mandela we have and we choose to use. And, uh, well, you could do that all day. You probably are. And he died yesterday, age of 95. Uh, we knew this was coming, of course, not only because life is not you know, usually much longer than 95, but because he's been uh, uh, in the hospital several times over the last years. Yeah, he's so been all very these obituaries, Ill, yes. mm. Yeah, all these obituaries have been written for some time. Now it's just a chance for everyone to, uh, to publish them. But it is still one of those deaths that, especially nowadays with social media, you can't look at anything without seeing uh, personal reflections, all kinds of references to different moments and... Uh, it's 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 really like a social media death too. Yeah, and as the, the Onion, America's finest news source, uh, you know, points yes. out, he's probably the first politi politician to be uh, ever missed. Yeah. You know? um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, his. I I, I just uh, the the news broke last evening, sometime. I don't know. I was. Yeah. Uh, doing uh stuff in my studio and then of course they were all releasing all those documentations that they have prepared for months <laughs> and months and yeah. probably years and so his life was um uh brought to me once more and it's it's really a, a very very interesting story on so many levels a guy You know, a uh, true revolutionist, also sort of a terrorist, you know, who is actually mm -hmm. approving of, um, not only approving of, but also planning um, terror attacks on the um, South African government at these times. But then also this classic turn of events when the president declared, finally found out this is not going to work out. And you know, was actively looking for him, talking to him, and after half a year, releasing him from prison, and three years later, he was the president of of South Africa. You know, it's a, a magic story in a way. Yeah, and, you know, uh, once president, and even after being president, I mean, I like people, especially after their presidencies uh, in general, but Mandela was already someone quite outspoken, quite different um, and, and very brave in a world of politics that you can rarely be brave in. 
And uh, for all accounts that I've ever heard, uh, even in office, uh, he was sort of challenging what you might think was going to happen in the new South Africa, challenging ideas that there would be some kind of like, it's okay, it's it's revenge now, or it's, it's uh, you know, black South Africans time and white South Africans can go to hell. No, it was more of a, okay, this is our country. Uh, we have to move forward. We have to, you know, take into account what's been going on here and, and that things have to change. But at the same time, this is for everyone. This is a, you know, this multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-everything South Africa. Um, that was the dream anyway. And, and he was working for it. Um, maybe one of the last presidents in South Africa to work for it. Maybe the only. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was probably... Uh, it was not the only revolution, no, revolutionist right. who was then president after. You know, there was Václav Havel in uh, uh, in Czechoslovakia. True. Um, yeah. uh, in uh, Poland. Um, Lech Walesa. or Valenza. Yeah. That's how they say. So, but in a way, he was very different, as he was very, very, very forgiving. You know, he was really not trying to seek revenge, you know, and go after everybody. But basically it was offering the white, white minority, um, you know, freedom in exchange for, for peace, of, peace of mind. You know, once you... Um, there's this one case where, the, where he was offering um, no punishment at all whatever they did before, you know, uh, as long as they publicly say that they did it and they're sort of regretting it. Not everybody took this route, but there was one minister who was actually um, behind lots of murderings of people. And in the end, he came out publicly and said, like, this was a bad thing to do. I apologize. You know, actually washing the feet of the women of those who died, you know, very dramatic. And this was mm -hmm. part of, of Mandela's uh, policy. And in that sense, it's part of his legacy. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in all the choices of uh, media sources, I've been looking through a newspaper I don't read every day, but the, the Mail and Guardian from South Africa. And uh, they have so many, obviously they would, uh, so many different, opinion pieces people sharing experiences it's uh and a huge collection of photos so um if if you can get your hands on it by the time you hear this recording uh the mail and guardian today uh even digitally there's lots of cool and interesting stuff so that's i mean that's going to be on the radar for probably at least i don't know 24 to 48 hours all over the tweets and so forth. And hey, that's, that's our right as people who admired him, who liked him, who maybe even some who knew him. So there is that. Had to be at the top of the news list, obviously. And I will be doing a, a South Africa film festival at my house. I think we'll watch Cry Freedom and Invictus and we'll play the South African National Anthem because it's a great song and uh, all these little tribute things. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good song. Play the South African National Anthem if you haven't in a while. It's good. Ah. Okay, speaking of presidents, uh, let's yeah. have a look what the other trouble uh, presidents in trouble are doing these yeah, days. This one, <laughs> <laughs> this one broke yesterday, although it's been broken for a while. We're talking about the Central African Republic, or CAR, 
if you like cars. Uh, th- I, I heard about this first through social media, actually, because I have friends working as aid workers in Central uh, in Bangui, and uh, I heard uh, right away that uh, that everybody was on lockdown. And this is because there were attacks, there have been attacks by Christian militias uh, who support the ousted president. Uh, We reported on that here on News of the World some weeks ago. And they're going against not only the government, but uh, Muslim militias. I mean, at least in the press, this is really framed as a religious dispute. But not only that, because both sides claim that there were atrocities committed against them. So both sides feel a sort of you know, empowerment, uh, they deserve revenge and so forth. So there's armed battles going on. Uh, early estimations were that 100 died in, in Bangui, in the capital, but now I've seen even higher. Uh, so what happens is the French military arrived. Man, the French military is busy these years. And uh, basically the president of the Central African Republic uh, requested this assistance and uh, François Hollande gave a, uh, a speech yesterday saying we're in, we're going, and that he's going to double the amount of troops. So it's 600 as of yesterday. It's supposed to be 1,200 by the end of today, maybe. I don't know how fast they can move. And uh, according to my sources in the capital, it's already calmer and calmed down. Uh, but this is, um, this, is, this is really something. It should be said... This is a United Nations mandate, so it wasn't a French decision. It was, uh, although, you know, you can speculate about how it works behind the scenes, but this was the United Nations Security Council uh, voting the, to, to give uh, this power, this, this, to, to request this help, to also help an African Union mission uh, in the country already. Uh, and that one has above a 1,000 troops, but... As has happened before, some African Union missions, some even some UN missions that, depending on who are the troops involved, need help, uh, need support. And look, uh, we can we can debate it, but the French military has abilities, has capabilities um, to to secure things, to get things done, and so. Uh, to some extent it makes sense that the leader of the Central African Republic looking at the situation his country is in says, okay, uh, France, UN, a little help. And some people are saying, oh, you know, unlikely allies because uh, this president came to power uh, as part of a coup or a a sort of uprising. Um, But uh, these these are the allies, you know, this is the one you got to work with. Yeah, and I think we have to see this also in the sequel of um, events. Uh, we've been talking about Mali a lot. Uh, not so much news from from there re- recently. Uh, of course, Mali is far away, but uh, C- Central African Republic is also a neighbor of Chad, where um, France has lots of uh, troops. You know, we've been talking about this troop French troop presence uh, a lot mm-hmm. in back issues yeah. and um, so this is an area of interest for France in in general and of course they have historic relationships uh, it's also a French speaking uh, country um, I don't know why they are engaging here in the first place 
I mean, you can bet it's not all about, you know, world peace and, and, and stuff. But I think it all relates to France's special interest in that region, in the Central African uh, region to, you know, have some kind of control oversight or, well, I'm not so sure if I can call it peace, um, huh. you know, to um, get some kind of uh, stability in this uh, situation because it's also an area of conflict especially in Nigeria uh, Muslims, Christians fighting and we've seen in other places where this can uh, lead to and with France uh, being heavily interested in the Iranian um, resources in this area and probably even other resources I'm not so sure about what's being produced in Central African Republic but this is this a uh, very rich belt of uh, Africa, also in the uh, Congo, south of the car. Uh, you know, these are areas where lots of companies have their interest in. So I think that's why they are engaging there. Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't mentioned the groups for those who want to follow this issue, maybe who already do follow this issue. The So first of all, the names. I didn't use their names, but the former president was the famous uh, Bozize, who was in charge for at least 10 years, and he was the one who was ousted. And you have the new president, uh, Jotodia, who is said to be part of this Celica uh, group of rebels. And, and that's the thing. Celica used to be considered um, an enemy or at least not, you know, not uh, an ally of anyone outside of uh, their, their small group of militia in um, in the country, and now, of course, this Celica supported president uh, is the is considered the ally of the international community. Um, so, yeah, these are these are crazy. I mean, as I read, you know, you hear about how the president himself is trying to dis distance himself from this rebel group, but they're the ones who brought him to power. Uh, very sort of very dangerous situation in that sense as well, because maybe. They're not going to be satisfied with this president, and they will remove him. Uh, so, yeah, France's interests, uh, I'm sure, are, are multi-layered, as you mentioned. Um, but it's also a matter of, like, you know, <laughs> some kind of, if I can use the old political word, stability. Uh, you know, it, it may not always be democracy. It may not even have come, well, yeah, it didn't come via the, the vote. But maybe it's a government that can manage the country and and allow people to live and not not destroy but that is not even clear uh, yeah i mean the minimum is that at least you know who the bad guys are you know <laughs> because <laughs> if you if a country is getting to a point where you don't even know who are the fighting forces here that's where things get out of control like in somalia and so on yeah, yeah, and so uh, I mean, this issue will will continue, and you'll hear more, especially as France uh, stays for some time. I don't imagine them leaving in a week. And uh, I enjoy also, or enjoy, I appreciate getting updates through uh, a number of my friends who work for Doctors Without Borders, who are managing a lot of the the sick, and they were the ones actually who reported on the deaths quite early. Um, so, so there's a lot of NGO workers in country already uh, handling things like food and medicine. So we'll hear more. Uh, Staying on the issue of... Well, actually, today's theme might even be protests, actually. It's all protests in different places. Uh, none as crazy as what's happened in, in car, but uh, let's go to Thailand. First of all, we, we didn't sing happy birthday, and we don't usually sing happy birthday on this program, but it was the Thai king's birthday, and uh, I wore yellow underwear, and... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so that you know, um, support him quietly. Yes, it's uh, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but these protests, you know, they've been going on for years, ever since uh, Taksin, the old uh, prime minister, millionaire, football owner, investor. Uh, ever since he was kicked out, um, and then somehow didn't get prosecuted. Well, there have been very a lot of angry protesters. Uh, I was I was in Thailand in 2008, and they had taken over a lot of space, including one of the main parks, and it was just the protesters' park. A year or so later, they took over the airport. Well, this is this is now a higher level of protest. Last week, uh, there were a number of street battles. And one of the reasons is, uh, as far as I can understand it, uh, Taksin himself has managed to enter into some elections, some some in in rural areas outside of Bangkok, and he's he's having some success. That's what they say. Now his sister is the prime minister. That's where this gets crazy, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so the protesters are upset. Uh, because he is sort of returning to power slowly, and of course because he has his sister still running the show, uh, many think that he could actually come back to to the sort of government uh, and and to leadership. Uh, so you had these conversations between police and protesters. Uh, I think a few people even died, which, despite the fact that there are constant protests, you don't get these these clashes. Usually, the police are sort of hands off, and the protesters, you know, they put up a barricade and they. That's it. Um, then we have the king's birthday, which, of course, protesters are very belo- – they, they love the king. There's this whole thing where the, the royalty is not political. So mm. the king is, is good, but the political system is bad. And uh, so it was his birthday, and so he – you know, in honor of his birthday, they started cleaning up, and they took down the barricades, and the police went home. And so suddenly uh, all the press reports are, okay, it's a pause, or okay, it's, it's off for a day or two. Um, of course, the protests will continue now that the king's birthday is over. Um, and, and I've even been reading that the opposition actually wants the king to appoint a new prime minister, uh, obviously one that isn't related to the former corrupt uh, prime minister. And this is, I mean, there's an irony in this or just a, a, an inconsistency because, of course, they want democracy, they want justice, but they're asking for the monarch to appoint a prime minister, even the king, who's now like 86 years old, and he's in pretty, he's pretty shaky health. That's what everybody always talks about, his, his shaky health. Uh, and he says, I'm not going to do that because it's actually not very democratic. Uh, so, you know, here we have a monarch saying, I like democracy. I'm not going to spoil yours or at least make it worse. Um, so there's this ironic situation, always has been, where it's like, we want democracy. Oh, yeah, but we love the king. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the battle continues or the, the struggle, the, the stalemate. I still don't really understand what kind of opposition this is. I mean, it's, isn't it a bit different this time with people sort of also fighting against the government to maintain their, um, um, can can you explain what it's, your understanding is? What what kind of opposition this is? I think the people in the streets, if we call, I mean, if we're talking about them, I think their concern is corruption because they've seen this this millionaire, uh, you know, running the government and the corruption that came with him, kicked him out, and then they see that he's actually going to come back or that he was never really prosecuted for what he did. Um, 
And and he's they say he runs the country via teleconference from Dubai. Ooh, maybe something for me to do when I'm in Dubai. Try to go see uh, rule a country <laughs> via <laughs> Skype. Well, we're we, you know we we're almost ready for that, Tim. We could run a country via. Oh Skype. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just call me. I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> but um, but so that's one opposition. Then you have this political opposition. And that's one I can't really explain because I'm not surely not educated enough um, because, you know, they want their people in in office. They they would claim that they are more democratic, that they're representatives of the people and that the current prime minister, she's not, uh, you know, this is not a democratically elected person. This is not a, you know, this is part of the corruption. So... I think that's the simple, my simple analysis of, of what people are pissed off about and worried and so so determined to never have. Yeah, but she was democratically elected. Uh, my bad, yes, sorry. Uh, when was that, by the way? Four years now? Three mm. years. Oh. Yeah, I've never been to Thailand, so I'm not really... Oh, well, that's, that's the other amazing thing about all of this. Lots yeah. of people listening have been to Thailand surely in the last four years, and you can still go to the country and completely ignore, or at least partially ignore, what's going on because, uh, because it's become so uh, routine, this whole... This, the only difference is that, and that's why we mentioned it this week, is that these recent events were a little louder than normal, were a little more violent, were, were, were bigger... Uh, so that's how we measure things now. It's not that it's significant that there are protests because that's every day. Uh, but now it's significant if if there are more protests, if they go to a different location, if they, you know, if there are more battles in the streets, and surely if if lives are lost. Um, but it's weird what we now consider as significant from Thailand. Protests themselves not significant anymore because they have these huge protests all the time. Hmm. So I, it was. Uh, I, I wasn't really following the news here uh, too much, but my understanding was that it's also about some people losing their privileges now that are uh, on the protest side. So it's not the the typical small uh, small guy versus the big government uh, thing here. Um, yeah, we'll follow the news closer in the future so we can discuss more. But let's uh, I mean, move on to the other protest. Okay. Uh, well, that one, uh, I think a lot of people have noticed even more so uh, than the Thai ones. And we're talking about the Ukraine. Uh, and, and this one has always been tricky. The Ukraine for me is, is difficult, a difficult country for me to understand. Maybe I haven't read enough over the years. Um, but basically, you've surely noticed huge street protests. One estimate last week had 350,000 people taking to the streets in Kiev and barricading the center or at least this section of the city uh, from, from police access, from, I don't know, anybody. Um, and the story is that, let's see if I get this right, it started as a small protest or what some press call small, um, a protest against a government decision to pull out of a trade agreement. And apparently this trade agreement would have meant closer ties to the European Union. yes. And so by pulling out of the trade agreement, everybody uh, interprets this as getting further from the European Union and, and of course, also as, if you want to take it to the other side, um, closer to Russia, closer to Putin. Um, I checked the, the Russia Today headlines. Now, this is an ongoing debate about how good Russia Today is, how, how uh, objective, if you want to use that word. And I do see that 
yesterday headlines are uh, provo- provocateurs protest radicals are hijacking the Ukrainian demonstrations and, you know, trying to pin this as some kind of radical action, some kind of crazy people action. But protesters have taken over city hall a few days ago. I have a a reporter friend who's, who's there. He's in, he was in the building. He he found it to be quite amazing and says it's very inspiring. Um, So it's, it's people in the streets wearing a lot of European uh, union flags. And not only that, you know, calling for, for real democracy. Uh, And then, Within Parliament, uh, you know, a lot of arguments, but nothing happening. I mean, the government is has the support, not in the streets, obviously, but from somewhere. Yes, the, uh, I mean, I think the main problem is that the Ukraine is actually two countries in one. There is one part that is highly related to Russia, Russian culture, Russian language, tradition, and everything. They are totally more considering themselves to be a part of of the Russian cultural empire somehow, you know, Mm. not only because they were part of the Soviet Union, because it's just, you know, that's where they relate to primarily. And that's just something you can't take away from them. On the other side, you also have the other half that is more or less the opposite of it. Totally oriented uh, towards the West, hating the uh, uh, Russian empire times and really want to get out of this and we've seen this protest before i mean a few years ago we had this so-called orange revolution and what we've seen now is sort of in the same dimension you know mm-hmm. not so sure it's got the same power uh it uh, was back then was uh mostly um a push against yanukovych yeah uh president then president now again you know um the leaders uh, that came into power after this uh, sort of revolution didn't really manage to steer the country in the right direction. So after a few years, they uh, totally failed. So it's it's to and fro, it's forth and back. It's it's a, a country that can't really decide in total where they want to go. And now there was this agreement that was sort of a path to the European Union. It was, um, I'm not so sure how much it was about trade, but it was in general a, uh, an association paper. It was something like, you know, let's work closer together. And it was also a statement that the European Union wanted to see from, from the Ukraine uh, mm. in order to be able to make further commitments and so on. Because of, you know, countries that are, under such an influence of of Russia, uh, it's not you know it's not that the Europeans are easily saying ah welcome you know because we've seen this with uh, Georgia as well this discussion who also wanted to be a part of the European Union but these countries are considered to be very remote from the Central European way of dealing with things also because they are so close. Uh, to Russia, or at least have been so close to Russia. So, I think that's why the Ukraine is so uh, torn apart. I mean, it, it's really something for the news, uh, also because we have now this boxing championship in first row. You know, Vitali Klitschko, probably one of the most amazing <laughs> boxers there ever was. Hmm. Uh, if you look at the uh, his. His personal history, leading one of the opposition parties, 
and totally uh, pro-Western stance here and anti-corruption wise. He he's really one of the mm, people who is uh, most open about you know his uh, disagreement with the current situation. But I'm not so sure he can really lead a new uh, revolution and get enough support to make this happen. Also because the influence of Russia is very strong and it's generally seen as that this uh, association with the European Union was in fact cancelled at the last minute because of pressure from Russia. You know, They mm -hmm. have uh, a lever here with gas supplies. We've already seen this in the past where Russia was just increasing gas prices and sort of you know, killing mm -hmm. the uh, Euro Ukrainian economy. And so they are helpless in that sense and they can't really agree on if they really want to jump ship and, and, you know, go over to the European Union and say like, yeah, help us to, you know, withstand the pressure from Russia, this would probably work if it were a country like Lithuania, you know, um, the Baltic states who are sort of totally opposed to the influence of, of Russia, really want to get away from it. But in Euro the Euro Ukraine, oh, what's, what kind of name is that? Can't you call your country something different? That country is undecided. You know, they just don't know where to where they want to go. Yeah, and, and and it seems like in that region of of Europe, or yes, I still call it Europe. You you can't even be in between. Like you, you seem to get pulled one side or the other. You can't you can't be non-aligned. You know, uh, I was reading that this actually this agreement was presented at an A, con a summit, and it was called the Eastern Partnership Summit, actually worth reading about perhaps, because it also included Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Moldova, and Belarus, and it was all about these sort of trade deals, aid even, uh, in different forms, from the EU, and what uh, some articles mention is that actually, besides the issue here with Ukraine, which was the biggest country involved and, and a lot of significance, um, Armenia, Azerbaijan, And, and even Belarus uh, didn't sign the agreements and have, have turned, what they interpret as turned more towards <laughs> Moscow. Uh, in one case, Belarus, which is actually EU. Uh, and only Moldova and Georgia, based on their rocky history with, with, with uh, Moscow, uh, have signed the agreements, are, are going to do this thing with the EU, uh, which is no big surprise at all. But uh, this was a larger summit that was going on. And apparently the deal is still on the table for the Ukraine in the, in the, in the future. Um, oh, yes, it is. Of course it is. Because in the end, Europe has a huge interest in, you know, extending uh, eastwards. And it, it's, a, it's a fight for uh, influence in Eastern Europe. Uh, it's hmm. sort of a Cold War light, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've, It doesn't we, sound so tasty. No, and it's not tasty. I mean, you, we've, we've all seen how Russia has... Uh, developed in the last years and it's not a very you know very nice development mm. um, so they have reactivated a lot of those bad behaviors that <laughs> you know used to be happening in the Soviet Union mm. and uh, including you know freedom of press putting pressure on uh, NGOs and, and, and so on we've uh, seen yeah. uh, it all we've discussed it here um, so, I don't know, this is uh, something with an open 
outcome. I just don't know what's going to happen. I'm not so optimistic that this demonstration will lead anywhere. Hmm. I'd like to go there. That's something to do. Uh, but all right, we'll keep an eye on uh, on the Ukraine. And uh, and if you're there, by all means, send a message because we, we should have audience members in or near. <laughs> uh, so uh, next item on the list, and actually what should have been a big one, and is a big one, uh, but we, we didn't do a show last week, and this was the nuclear deal, if I can call it that. The, the negotiations that were going on for quite a long time that I'm sure for many people were hard to follow and hard to have much hope about because it's all such a back and forth with this Iranian nuclear program. Well, a deal uh, was struck. And I was just reading this analysis. It's not the only one. Uh, By and large, you know, it said that this was a pretty significant deal. And the specific article I'm going to link to talks about how this is actually more than a a nuclear deal. This is a bigger symbol or or a new era. And uh, interestingly, the, the deal was announced, the first announcement was actually from the Iranian foreign minister. This guy seems interesting, uh, Javad Zarif. He broke the news in a tweet in English. Uh, we have reached a deal, quote, quote, you know. Um, and what the journalist writing this piece points out is this is an example of this new style of communicating that this Iranian government has um, in this particular example the foreign minister speaks directly with the foreign public uh, because he's writing in English, and that's that's the way a new agreement is announced. Um, the details of the deal, you know, are, are a little bit in the language I don't speak, but uh, Iran will stop enriching uranium beyond the five percent level, and so the this is pointed out in the article. Uh, nuclear power plants typically run on three point five percent enriched uranium. Uh, they'll also remain fr- refrain from installing new centrifuges for Iranian enrichment. And then, well, there's a whole lot of little uh, and big uh, things they won't do, things they won't pursue when it comes to what could be weapons-grade uranium. Uh, it's all, you know, what the international community has been asking, uh, including access to uh, for observers in the, in the future and in the present. Um, and in response... Uh, the world, the rest of the world, the international community uh, offers a lot of money in uh, relief uh, and the lightening of sanctions. I saw a few reports. I've been following journalists uh, in the Middle East reporting from Dubai on financials, and they say for oil, for a lot of trade, Iran is getting ready for the first good uh, quarter and good year, really, in a long time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement. So this all came thanks to this agreement. And uh, in a way, uh, as this article in The Atlantic points out, this, is, this all started when Rouhani became president of Iran, and he and Obama started talking uh, a letter. I think there was a phone call. And now John Kerry and this uh, foreign minister, Zarif, they've spent hours and hours talking, and it's the most time any American and Iranian leader or uh, government official have communicated in, I think, like two or three decades. And there's a whole list in this article of how Reagan made some little attempts, but then, you know, they were all, he was not that easy to talk to and they didn't respond. How Clinton used to try to talk to the former Iranian president at the UN and they wouldn't, they would never meet. How Bush alienated Iran by calling them the axis of evil. So, 
they they had been almost they had some meetings after September 11th, but it was all canceled and and over when that axis of evil speech came. So this is like yeah, this this could be a new era. I mean, I think it's already a new era. For, I'll, I'll remove the could. Yes, I, I I think it is, and in a in a way, it might be the first real victory for Obama's approach. Uh, towards the uh, Arabian and Persian areas of uh, the planet. I mean, when he came into power, he was sort of, um, um, you know, openly addressing, you know, the, uh, his speech he gave in, uh, in was it Cairo or in Alexandria? Oh, I remember in that Egypt. speech, yeah, yeah. Yes, you know, um, which didn't really, you know, had the proper effect in Egypt itself. You know, this has been a, 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 a problematic area. But I think it was clear from the start that he at least wanted to have a different approach. And that's what he got the Nobel Peace Prize for, you know. <laughs> And I think he finally, he still feels that he has to uh, deliver on, on this uh, prize, which was sort of given... Uh, in advance, you know, it's probably the first Nobel Peace Prize that was given in advance. Like, yeah, you really <laughs> look like somebody who deserve it in the future. So here's your prize now. Uh, go for it. You know? Go earn it. <laughs> go earn it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and Rouhani is also a very interesting character. I mean, wouldn't have happened uh, without him. Um, I mean, you could expect or suspect everyone who is elected in uh, Iran to be too close with the, you know, powers that are, uh, because everybody else is not even allowed to get uh, uh, <laughs> elected in, in Iran. But he was yeah. somehow the candidate of uh, choice. And from day one, he started to do things differently, not only in um, the big politics outside with the um, foreign countries, but also inside. Have you seen this video he he gave uh, out I, this music I, video? Uh, no, no. It's I'm very. Uh, if you remember, you probably remember the uh, Obama video or the video for Obama in his first election campaign, the "Yes, We Can" spot, which wasn't really initially orchestrated by him. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Where all these rapper guys, I don't know the uh, the names, came up and you know joined to yeah. this crazy "Yes We Can" video, and Rouhani uh, has produced something that is in a similar fashion, um, a speech given by him, or at least a text he reads, uh, is turned into some kind of song, and in this video you have women singing solo the song. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, women singing solo, Iran, not allowed. Uh, you see instruments, you know, instruments and music in general were considered like evil by uh, Khomeini and they're still, you know, not part of of the uh, public uh, cultural life in Iran. So... Mm -hmm. And, and he, so he was basically producing a video, putting it on YouTube, A video which contents were imp are impossible to show on Iranian state TV because of the current rules. Yeah, that's so uh, amazing. So I don't know if this is sort of coming to a point where somebody is just going to kill him at some point. You know, because he is 
a, yeah, seen as a trader or whatever, or if he's really um, sort of leading uh, some kind of internal slow revolution here, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. But he's seen, a, nevertheless an interesting character. I've seen comparisons now to, to Gorbachev and also in a negative way saying that, you know, uh, the people, the country might revolt against him because he's sort of leading them to change and they but I, I i would disagree with that though and i've never been to iran my iranian friends who are some still in the country uh are very much with this guy or at least with when it comes to this when it comes to these policies of just talking uh like like a human <laughs> instead yeah. of like some powerful uh always you know ahmadinejad so much pride he couldn't answer a question without mixing so much pride and toughness just like bush they were so similar in that sense yes always uh, calm and wise trying to be wise <laughs> and religious uh, you know deeply yes. uh, religious ahmadinejad uh, is uh, what's this group called these crazy guys who are dreaming of the return of the prophet of and sometimes and so on i mean it's like i don't know hmm. he was oh yeah well right more those guys <laughs> Yes, he's by, he's a crazy by, guy. I mean, and, and way, Rouhani is is really more down to earth and 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 totally uh, in the context of of modern times. You you did remind me of something. You were talking about what's uh, things that are not allowed on Iranian television that that are that are being put out by by this government or related to this government. Um, I I don't know where the article went. I, I came across it and then lost it. But um, apparently, you know, Rouhani, the president, is himself tweeting, but Twitter is blocked in Iran. Yes, also Facebook and so on. I mean, that's that's exactly the the craziness. So he is sort of pursuing a public life on the internet that is officially <laughs> invisible. You know, yeah. I, I'm I'm pretty sure people find still find their way uh, towards these resources. But right, exactly. He's yeah. somehow working against the current situation, and I don't understand what this means. If this means that he is sort of accumulating resistance uh, in in the current regime that mm. is going to kill him at one point in time. I mean, not probably physically, but politically. Ah. Um, or if he's already sort of leading the pack here um, and is already demonstrating change that is about to come anyway in Iran, we just don't know officially yet. No, well, I think he's still got plenty of time, uh, and and he's. I think this is good for Iran. I mean, and I think people will feel it. That'll also be interesting. Sanctions are relaxed. Aid is coming in to some extent. Economic activity is going to get better. So uh, this has that old. Uh, what was the old uh, expression? It's the economy, stupid. Well, you know, I think he's going to have some more public support because if life in in Iran gets a little better, well, great for you know, for him and for, for the country. So uh, interesting times and a very significant agreement. Uh, yes. Yes, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> Iranian interesting times. All right, let's go to Switzerland. This one, uh, a small story that, I don't know, piques my curiosity, gets my attention. Uh, this was over a week ago now. There was a referendum in Switzerland. Probably lots of Swiss listeners could could further develop and by all means you're welcome to in the comments help us out but there was a vote and i don't know what the the name for this uh policy is but it's the the, the 12 times <laughs> policy um it was an initiative 
apparently proposed by the Young Socialists. I'm impressed that the Young Socialists are powerful enough to get an initiative on a national ballot, but okay, they did. Uh, it would have put a cap on executive salaries, f- preventing them from going above 12 times that of the lowest paid worker, I guess, in that company. And let me skip right to the result. Of course, the referendum saw 65% against the plan, 34 in favor. Uh, Pretty easy, you know, in terms of victories. But interesting, because it's not the first time, and there is a bigger conversation apparently going on in Switzerland. I think this conversation is going on all over the world, but apparently loudly in Switzerland, maybe because it is home to so many multinationals, and at the same time, uh, Switzerland, to my understanding, is a place that values quality of life and looks at these issues of executive pay and says, this is getting crazy. Uh, I've read that the some of Switzerland's chief executives earn more than 200 times, more than 200 times what their employees uh, on normal level uh, get. So, uh, you know, this pisses off people. And, and some people look at it and go, maybe this is bad for our country. Uh, never mind the world. I think they're looking very national in the sense. And um, for me, this is sort of the split personality of Switzerland. Uh, there's this, inter- especially growing up in the U.S., you always knew Switzerland as this place where you could hide from tax uh, rules and you could, you could have a bank account that nobody can touch. And business, business, you know, that was the place. Um, but then now living a little closer to Switzerland, uh, at least on the same continent, I also see this side of like, you know, social well-being, quality of life, uh, caring about these issues of, of income for all, for, you know, depending on who. So I think the country has this sort of split personality. Uh, and you see, although only in little flashes, you see signs of like people going, hmm, maybe we should do something different. But of course, it's home to all these multinationals. So if you if you do threaten these kind of referendums or policies, um, you you scare the companies, and that's bad for the country. So this is such a, uh, I don't know, it's not a chicken or an egg situation, but it's a, <laughs> it's a minefield. Yeah, I mean, the Swiss, they really love their, um, <laughs> you know, referendums. So <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> not, not, not a big surprise that it actually came to uh, a vote. It uh, might be surprising uh, in, in the result. But there was a huge scandal, and I... Uh, spent the last two minutes looking for the name but I didn't find it the name of one of the most well-known business guys in um, in, in Switzerland who was you know earning by far too much money <laughs> so he was sort of causing all this and then it oh. led to the re- referendum and, 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 and now they uh, made a statement and that's also very interesting that you know, whatever you can say about Switzerland you know and being like the 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 treasure of all the evil guys of the planet, you know, and that's what they're living from. As a society in itself, they have proven time and time again that they really have a very, very, very strong idea of how they should live together and what the the contract is between them. And they are constantly renewing this uh, contract and they are... Um, so popular referendums you know that that, that almost everything could be uh, decided by a, a referendum ha- has shown that they are uh, able to turn this into active uh, policy uh, many many times hmm. 
So I wonder if this will is going to have some uh, impact, limiting the the money earned by people uh, in top positions in business has been a discussion in Germany, but of course with the current government situation, um, it's not going to happen anytime mm -hmm. soon. Uh, not to say that there is any government right now in Germany, but <laughs> we might have some. <laughs> well, in this Belgian phase right now, you know, Ooh, it's, no real... it's very fun. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, so that's what uh, happened in Switzerland, and I really wonder what kind of result this is going to show. You know, what is the impact on companies? Yeah. Well, I mean, cl clearly the, the issue matters to some extent, but not, you know, the, the strategy of curbing the salaries at 12, you know, apparently not the answer, doesn't doesn't ring true. But yeah, but, but it's also a very interesting um, way to define the money. You know, it's not that they have like a some kind of cap uh, in terms of, you know, that's the maximum you can earn. It's like, you can make as much money as you like, but... The lowest income paid has to be, you know, mm. just uh, a twelfth of this. And that means yeah. in order to make more money, you have to raise the the income of everybody else. That's mm. just fair. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I googled, by the way, <laughs> Swiss executive scandal and... Uh, A lot of things come up, but especially... This, this <laughs> There's no United lack of scandals, of <laughs> course. United Bank of Scotland is the big name uh, that's connected to a rate-fixing scandal. But, uh, yeah, this is ongoing. Uh, so, yeah, uh, fascinating. And I'm sure we'll hear about it in comments, because I'm pretty sure we've got uh, listeners in Switzerland that are experiencing all of this firsthand and have perhaps lived their whole life in this reality. So we, we're eager to learn from you. Yes, and, we are. Uh, and since earlier I mentioned uh, an article in the Atlantic, I thought I would throw it on as uh, as a news source, uh, theatlantic.com, uh, the Atlantic, an American source actually. And I didn't know this; it was actually founded 1857 in Boston, Massachusetts. It even had some very famous uh, writers at the time. Uh, one that I like is Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, you might like. Uh, you being the audience, you might like Longfellow or Oliver Wendell Holmes. These are all huge names in the writing world. Um, so it's a magazine. I've known many writers. Uh, some of them are political sort of commentators or op-ed piece writers. But I've also known people in, in Afghanistan, uh, Americans and otherwise, who managed to get articles in the Atlantic. It's, it's had this comeback in the last five, no, let's say ten years um, as a source and not just a sort of... It is a thinking person's magazine. It does try to reach out. I think one of their policies was to try to speak to the thought leaders, but I think this is more of a, uh, a buzzword. I think that a lot of people are reading The Atlantic and some good journalism actually happens there. Definitely some good analysis. And in this case, a lot of our Iran analysis that we discussed today came from The Atlantic. So I thought I would uh, mention it Add it to our list. Worth reading. And uh, lastly today, I think... Uh, oh, unless you want to ask me anything about the Atlantic. but um, <laughs> No, I was just carefully listening, and uh, yeah. I think it's a good um, recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, every now and then it comes up, and, and when you have these 
analysis that can have historical references. Um, it's it's great. I think it's we need more of that. So that brings us to the end of the show, and this is usually yeah. a look out on things to come. And obviously, our next big date is going to be the 30th Chaos Communication yeah. Congress. Yes. Which I'll is be there. going to You'll be, be there. Yes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to uh, going to help with the opening. So I'm going to spend some time in the beginning addressing uh, people. I'm not the keynote speaker. I'm not, you know, rolling out the roadmap of how hackers react to NSA and other scandals in the future. That's I will not, be doing that. Oh wait, no. yes, yes, we we'll do that <laughs> later on. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, keynote spe speakers are not yet public. Um, my understanding is that there is yes some surprised surprise prepared and involved and everything yeah. I've seen from the preparations of this event is awesome. It's okay. going to be much bigger than. It was last year, which was already much bigger than it was the year before. <laughs> um, yes. You will be blown away, Mark, because you 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 haven't seen the event last year. No. So the 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 increase in dimensions of people in space and content and activity, uh, hacking activity, compared to the last event at the PCC. Oh boy, mm -hmm. you will be surprised. So, so the keynote speakers are a secret, but me as a, a journalist, podcaster, if I want, I could still look up other speakers, right? Doing interesting things on different issues um, beforehand. Yeah, it's not all a secret, right? No, 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 no. Actually, the first uh, version of the uh, Fahrplan, as we uh, call it, is already published. All right, I have to study it. Yes, uh, it's going to be updated uh, many times. We put a link into the show notes. And um, there's already a lot of things um, listed there. Um, it's four days. It's four tracks. It's going to be a lot. And uh, for those who are not planning to go there, although I would really strongly encourage you to consider this if this is a possibility for you, but the network is going to be very robust and cool this time again. And that means you will have the option to follow on all the activities and the lectures in particular uh, in real time on the internet. So we will be live streaming of all the talks. And yes, I think that's a good way to spend these days in between years, how we say. And, yes. um, and it's 30. I mean, it's big. It's, it's the number 30. It's big it's the 30th it's an anniversary it's it's a lot of things and it's probably sort of also the year where all those things happened that the ccc has been talking about for the last 30 years from the get-go mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know all those paranoia sort of came <laughs> true yeah and it and it's worse <laughs> amazon has drones the ccc had drones a decade ago. <laughs> yes, we were already, we we're always first. <laughs> but sometimes it does not really feel good if you know, you know, all your predictions come true. Right. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, well said. 
All right. Well, plenty more and and still some time uh, to come before then. So, yes. Uh, we'll so yeah, everybody who is coming, uh, you can visit us. We're going to have a podcasting den. A big den at the uh, at the congress. Uh, we're going to have our uh, daily live show, two hours a day. A magazine German. Uh, there's a stage. We're going to have some workshops. Where the Podlove community is there. People programming uh, the code of the future for podcasting. Uh, if you're interested into that, uh, join us too. And I think you're going to hang around there a lot. Uh, sure. we, yeah, we also provide space for podcasters to record their shows and so on. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would like to produce a few interviews while I'm there. Uh, good. Okay, so we'll have those uh, some links to help uh, show all these things, and uh, otherwise, what? We'll be back with you next week. Um, not so sure. I'm going to make Ooh. it next week because Ooh. things are getting uh, a bit more intense, but we give it a try. Okay. Otherwise, um, yeah. ASAP. We'll see. Okay. All right. Thanks That's so much it. for listening and catch you again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. بگذاریم که فضا و فرصت خدمت برای همه ایرانیان که دل در گروه این مرز و بوم دارن باز شود بگذاریم که شایستگان به ملت خدمت کنند بگذاریم که سینه ها از سینه ها پاک شود بگذاریم که آشتی جای غرب و دوستی جای دشمنی بنشتیم بگذاریم که اسلام با چهره رحمانیش ایران با چهره اقلانیش انقلاب با چهره انسانیش و نظام با چهره آتفیش همچنان هماسه بیاند و یخلق نصر یاند سنگینی بار این رای و این تنفیز را احساس کنم و تنها و تنها به خدا پناه میبرم خدا کمکت کنم از آن دستگیر بند نواز خالصانه و خازهانه درخواست می کنم این بنده ضعیف خود را از شر از شر کبر و غرور هرس و بخل و حسد بارهانت خداوند خداوند به تو پناه خداوند به تو پناه می برم 
از استبداد رای عجله در تصمیم تقدم نفع شخصی و گروهی بر مساله عمومی و بستن دهان رقیبان و منتقدان تا بنده مخلصی برای تو و خادم لایقی برای مردم باشم خادمی لایقی به مردمان بابا و فراموش نکنم آنچه بر پیشینیان رفته است سخن بسیار است و مجال اندک چه بهتر که سخن را کوتاه کنیم و حال در رهن حال در رهن امتش پترقه یه ماه کنه که دراز است ره مقصد و من سفرم